Good day. We continue on with our study of the Antichrist. What we're going to be looking at in this podcast is the Antichrist in the Old Testament up until the book of Psalms. So we've looked at an introduction, a general introduction, and what we're going to be looking at now, and, and then we, sorry, we looked at eight important points to consider when studying the Antichrist and now we're going to be looking at studying the Antichrist in the Old Testament. Now most of my um, references here come from an author called A.W. Pink. In his book on the Antichrist he gives quite a, he goes through the Word of God and he pulls out a lot of scriptures concerning the Antichrist and most of them I would agree with and so what I've done is the I've, I've pulled out selective scriptures that I personally look at and say yeah that's possibly the Antichrist others I've left out so I haven't done a full um, drawing out of all his scriptures but I use him as the basis for this section of the study and so we're going to be looking at Antichrist now in the Old Testament from basically Genesis to the book of Psalms. And in the next podcast, we'll go on into the prophets. So without further ado, let's now look at the book of Genesis. And we've got one scripture here, which we've already touched on. And that scripture we can find in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And the first prophecy of the Bible I feel takes note of the Antichrist with regards to the serpent's seed. And I will put enmity, open hostility between you and the woman and between your seed, offspring. Obviously, that refers to, I feel, also the, the devil's children, people of the enemy, people of the world. But specifically, I also think it culminates in the offspring, the champion, as we spoke about in the last podcast the champion of the devil satan incarnate the antichrist in exodus we have a type and the first type is pharaoh he is a very very good foreshadow of the final antichrist also if you study the conflict between moses and pharaoh you will all and, and, and all the events around that conflict, the the coming in of all the plagues, you're gonna have a very, very good foreshadow of what's gonna take place during the seven years as the plant goes through the um, wormwood system, the two events of the wormwood system, which we've already discussed previously in this podcast series. So you're gonna get a very, very good type one of the Antichrist in Pharaoh. You're going to get a very, very good type of, of picture, description of the type of conflict between Pharaoh and the, uh, the, 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 the remnant and also the children of Israel. And you're also going to get a very, very good type of description with regards to events that take place, how it took place then, how God supernaturally looked after the children of Israel during those events, as well as uh, what will take place in the future and how, how I believe God is going to look after people 
the remnant during that period of time. So some of the interplanetary events we've discussed in seal number six and we've discussed in the first four trumpets. Specifically looking at Pharaoh, you've got to take note that he is a defier of God. He defies God. He treats God's people with real cruelty. He's really spiteful, vindictive, hateful with regards to God's people. And basically he just focuses in on that and wants to really crush them. Uh, he, he seems to be one who orders the destruction of the male children. And we see types of that also in the um, uh, under Herod with regards to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is one who tries to cut off and prevent Israel from being a nation. Uh, you have to remember that many, if not all, of the end time promises of the Lord Jesus Christ to return have to deal with Israel as a nation. And Antichrist is going to do whatever he can to basically wipe Israel off the map because effectively Jesus is returning to the children of Israel. Jesus is returning to Israel. Jesus is returning to Jerusalem. And that's what he wants to occupy. That is what he wants to wipe off the map. And then he's also one who is going to end. He, his ending is, 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 is pretty drastic at the hands of the Lord. Um, we discussed briefly in the, one of the previous podcasts is what happened, how God repays people. And it's very similar to um, how they act. And when we, we will look at that when we go and study uh, Babylon, the series, which I'm going to be preparing after we finish this one of the Antichrist. So he is a, go and read Exodus. Go and read the story of the Exodus. And look at what happens in light of the sixth seal and the four trumpets as well. And it'll give you a good foreshadow of what's going to take place. The next one that we're going to be looking at can be found in Numbers 24-22. Nevertheless, the Kenites will be consumed. How long Asher, Assyria, keep you, Israel, captive? Now, in many of these things, uh, these scriptures... I'm just going to be giving you out names and what I would suggest you do is to go and um, study the the story around what took place and that will give you a picture, a type, a, a characteristics, behavior of what you can now look forward to, not look forward to as in excitement, but look forward to as in what's coming with regards to the revelation and recognizing who the Antichrist is recognizing other antichrists and recognizing the antichrist spirit those three forms of antichrist that we spoke about in the last podcast so in this prophecy of balaam the antichrist is referred under the name asher or a type of antichrist is referred under the name asher and look at at what he does to the israelites all right remember antichrist is going to come to try and change the times and seasons he's trying to break away the civilization away from the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ and he's going to also suppress and destroy the nation of Israel. In the book of Job, he is possibly possibly referred to as the crooked serpent in Job 26 
and we're going to compare that to Isaiah 27 where the crooked serpent uh, is connected with the dragon. So let's have a look at these two scriptures. Um, Job 26, 13, the crooked serpent. By his breath the heavens are cleared. His hand has pierced the swiftly fleeing serpent or crooked serpent. So this is a bit of a stretch with regards to applying this to the Antichrist. I wanted to put it in there, but from my perspective, um, it's more talking about Satan. And I think Leviathan, although we've got a lot of interesting interpretations on Leviathan, I think Leviathan could possibly be Satan as well, or a picture of Satan. But remember, Antichrist is Satan incarnate. So let's look at Isaiah 27 verse 1. In that day the Lord will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, with his fierce and great and mighty sword, rescuing Israel from her enemies. So that's very, very similar to Job, where it says, By his breath the heavens are cleared. And remember in Revelation, out of his mouth, flaming sword. Um, and also rescuing Israel. Now let's read on in Isaiah 27.1. Even Leviathan, the twisted serpent, and he will kill the dragon who lives in the sea. So it's interesting because remember, with regards to the serpent, that Satan represented as a deceiver and as the dragon, the persecutor. And so here, Leviathan is um, being destroyed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it's, it is a bit of a stretch, but remember what I said is that Antichrist is Satan incarnate. Now let's move on to the book of Psalms. Now references of the Antichrist in the book of Psalms occurs in an, uh, it's, it's pretty unpredictable or it's not very it's not really focused in on them so it's a it's a we, we we sort of looking into stuff here and trying to draw out what could possibly be descriptions and characteristics of persecutors of types of antichrist or prophetic pictures of the antichrist another thing to note it always seems to the the it, it, the these passages always seem to be linked with the nation of Israel. So when we try and find Antichrist in the book of Psalms, we need to note and we need to look at the Psalms which specifically describe the times of Jacob's troubles because that will then give us a time frame in which the Psalm is speaking into. There we will then begin to be able to say, okay, here we have an opponent of Israel and Israel and the conflict between them in a specific time frame, which is the time of Jacob's troubles or the time of times or whatever it describes. And you'll see this as we go into the scriptures. And that will be able to then begin to give you a, a, a very, very graphic picture of the conflict between Antichrist and Israel. 
So the Antichrist, political and religious connections in Psalms, politically and ecclesiastically, the Antichrist can be viewed in threefold connection. So number one, how he relates to the Gentiles. Number two, how he relates to the apostate Jewish nation. And number three, how he relates to the remnant, the godly remnant, um, who, who separate themselves from unbelieving Israel, which we, we spoke about previously. So it is here in the Psalms that we mainly read about the conflict between the third point I gave you, which is the godly Jewish remnant who've separated themselves from the unbelieving brethren. That's what you're going to pick up. So we, we, but there will also be connections with the Gentiles and the Jewish nations as a whole. So let's look at a couple of selected Psalms. The first one is Psalm 2. Now I've used Psalm 2 quite regularly throughout these podcasts because Psalm 2 basically gives us a picture of this period of time. It gives us a picture of the conclusion of the tribulation. Now, Antichrist is not directly named in this psalm. But we see what happens to his system. His system is the Babylonian system. It's the New World Order. It's the One World Government. It's the uh, governmental system of Satan that, that when he became the god of this world, he set up to govern and rule this planet. And there was a confederacy between fallen angels and mankind working together to govern this planet. This is what happens to that government, which is the Antichrist government. So let's have a look at Psalm 2 in light of this. Why are the nations, the Gentiles, in an uproar, a confusion of voices in turmoil against God? And why do the people devise a vain and hopeless plot? I was thinking about that the other day uh, with regards to that passage of Scripture. And when, when, when I finish the Bible study section of this podcast, I'm going to go into the, the, the next section, which is going to be looking at various aspects and then looking at terminologies of what they will look like during this period of time. And one of the things I was thinking about is that Satan is continually seeking to tear away a portion of this universe or this universe itself from the hands of God. And uh, he wants to set up his breakaway civilization. And those are terms that get used, breakaway civilization. And I feel that all his plans are trying to are there to try and tear this apart where then he will declare himself to be God and he will have his underlings under them who will now rule a selective group of probably human slaves. That's what I think, what is in his mind. And uh, when I read passages like this, here, have a look at this one. And why do the people devise a vain and hopeless plot? His plan is not going to succeed. He's not going to create a breakaway civilization. God's going to intervene. But what is going to happen is he will get his breakaway civilization. And it's called the lake of fire. 
Because in the lake of fire, God now separates the, the company of angels from the, the fallen angels, from the elect angels. The fallen angels into the lake of fire. God then separates mankind. Those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. Those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life get separated out, put into the lake of fire with the devil and his angels for an eternity separated from God. That's their breakaway civilization. That is what's going to happen. The ultimate breakaway civilization is what God has prepared for the devil and his angels. That was an interesting thought that I had the other day. And when I go in and start discussing these aspects, I'll probably, hopefully, remember this and, and, and look into it a little bit further. Why are the nations, the Gentiles, in an uproar, confusion of voices in turmoil against God? And why do the people devise a vain and hopeless plot? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and His anointed, the Davidic King, the Messiah, the Christ saying, let us break apart the divine bands of restraint and cast away their cords of control from us. That's their breakaway. He who sits enthroned in the heavens laughs, that's God's response, at their rebellion. The sovereign Lord scoffs at them in the supreme contempt. Contempt. He mocks them. Then he will speak then he will speak to them in his profound anger and terrify them with his displeasure, saying, Yet as for me, I have anointed and firmly installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. So that's when Jesus comes to claim his throne in Jerusalem. I will decide, I will declare the decree of the Lord, he said to me. You are my son. This day I proclaim I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them in pieces like earthenware. Now therefore, O king, act wisely. Be instructed and take warning, O leaders, judges and rulers of the earth. Worship the Lord and serve Him with reverence, with awe-inspired fear and submissive wonder. Rejoice, yet do so with trembling. Kiss, pay respect to the Son so that He does not become angry and you perish in your ways. For His wrath may soon be kindled and set aflame. How blessed, fortunate, prosperous and favored by God are all those who take refuge in Him. And then we move on and compare that with Revelation 16, 14. For they are actually the spirits of demons performing miraculous signs. They go out to the kings of the entire inhabited earth to gather them together for the war of the great day of God Almighty. And they're gathering them together for this war that you will find in Revelation 19, 19. Then I saw the beast and the kings and political leaders of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who is mounted on a white horse and against his army. So Antichrist will attempt to prevent Jesus Christ 
from entering into his earthly inheritance. So this is a decree. His inheritance has been decreed by God. He now comes to take it up and the Antichrist is now there, put in place to prevent him from taking up his earthly inheritance. Uh, this, I think, can be seen from the psalm itself. So Psalm 2, in my opinion, shows us the end of the Antichrist's history, the end of the Antichrist's government, and the treatment of God, the opinion of God, and how God thinks of their rebellion and their, uh, and their offensive against Him. And it close out, closes out with some really awful events that take place at that time. This Antichrist is the fourth beast of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 7, 7 to 14, we read this. So I'm going to read to you a couple of passages out of Daniel. After this, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, I saw a fourth beast. According to the interpretation of the Roman Empire, but this is the revived Roman Empire in my opinion. Terrible and extremely strong, and it had huge iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that came before it, and it had ten horns, ten kings. While I was considering the horns, behold, there came up among them another horn, a little horn, a little one. The fir, the, and three of the first horns were pulled up by their roots before it, and behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and mouth uh, uh, the eyes of a man and their mouth boasting of great things. I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the ancient of days God took his seat. His garment was white as snow, and the hair on his head was pure like pure wool. His throne was flames of fire, its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing, and coming out from before him, a thousand thousand and a thousand thousands were attending him. And ten thousand times ten thousand were standing before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I kept looking because of the sound of the great and boastful words which the horn was speaking. I kept looking upon the beast that was slain and his body destroyed and given to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their power was taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for the length of their lives was fixed. For a predetermined time, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, on the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him the Messiah was given dominion, supreme authority, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and speakers of every language should serve and worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one which shall not be destroyed. Then we move on to verse 23 to 28 of the same chapter, Daniel chapter 7. Thus the angel said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms, and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns, out of, the, out of this kingdom ten kings will arise, and another will arise after them. And he will be different from the former ones, and he will subdue three kings. 
He will speak words against the Most High God and wear down the saints of the Most High. And he shall intend to change the times and the law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, two times, and half a time. That's three and a half years. But the court of the Most High will sit in judgment, and his dominion will be taken away, first to be consumed gradually, and then to be destroyed forever. Then the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints, believers of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. This is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my waking thoughts were extremely troubling and alarming, and my face grew pale. But I kept the matter of the vision and of the angel's explanation to myself. So, pretty frightful ending for the Antichrist. Now, let's go on and look at a few more Psalms. Uh, the next Psalm we're going to be looking at is Psalm 5. The boastful and the arrogant will not stand in your sight. You hate all who do evil. You destroy those who tell lies. The Lord detests and rejects the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. So here we have prepetitions of the remnant of God seemingly in the tribulation period. So the great tribulation is the time Three and a half years where Satan is given absolute control within proportions that the Lord gives him, within the parameters that the Lord gives him, where he rules and does what he wants on planet earth. And as I said in the previous podcast, literally hell on earth takes place right now. And this period of time will seem to be as if God has abandoned humanity. So what takes place is the remnant now start to pray to God and start to beseech God for protection against the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. This seems to be the man of sin, the Antichrist. He is going to kill a lot of people. He is going to destroy a lot of things. He's going to come in place of, he's going to try and replace the Savior, Jesus Christ. But he's going to do the opposite of what Jesus does. So where Jesus brings life, he's going to bring absolute death, horror and destruction. The likes of which the world has never seen. Um, let's move on. The next psalm we're going to look at is Psalm 10. So, verse 1, Why do you stand far away, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself, veiling your eyes, in times of trouble? So there we see um, the, the, the timing of the phrase. And then we link that with Jeremiah 30, verse 7, Alas, for the day is great, there is none like it. It's the time of Jacob's unequal troubled, but he will be saved from it. So, in the psalm, Psalm 10, and we'll go into it a little bit more in depth, we've probably got 
what I would say the fullest description of the Antichrist that you will find. Um, the psalm is divided into four sections. Part one, which I've just read to you, basically shows you two things. It's the cry of the remnant and also it gives you a time frame of when this cry gets released to the Lord. So what we see here in the psalm, we've got four basic, basic the psalm can be, div be divided into four sections. The first one is in verse 1, which I've just read to you, and I'm going to read it to you again. I read it to you to set you up, and now I'm going to read it again so that with this brief description, you can basically understand how I'm looking at the psalm. So the first one is the cry of the remnant. From, chapter, from verse 2 to 11, you're going to see the characteristics of this person, which I think is the Antichrist. Then you're going to have a renewed cry of the remnant from verse 12 to 15. And then you're going to see the confidence of the remnant in verses 16 to verse 11. So let's look at this here. Why do you stand far away, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself veiling your eyes in times of trouble? So that's the cry of the remnant. And here in times of trouble, we go down to Jeremiah 30 verse 7. It is the time of Jacob's unequal troubles. So there's always that similar terminology that you will find. So this psalm is divided into the four sections as I previously indicated. Verse 1 is the cry of the remnant. Verses 12 to 15, the renew, renewal of their, of their cry and then their confidence in chapter six, verse 16 and 18. From verse 2 to 11, we have the character of this individual. So I've underlined what I think would be indicators for his character. You can pause the, the video, vlog, and basically underline this in, the, in, in your Bible and then go back to it and study it here. So let's look at, it, look at this. In verse 2, in pride and arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue and persecute the afflicted. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. So in pride and arrogance, that's going to be a manifestation of his characteristic. Verse three, for the wicked boasts and, and, and the, for the wicked boasts and sings the praises of his heart, his desire, and the greedy man curses and spurns, and even despises the Lord. So we've got boastful, someone that is boastful of themselves and what's in themselves, and then also greed. Greed is going to be a supreme identifier of this person and his system. And if you go and study the system of Babylon, which we will do in the next podcast once we finish this section on the Antichrist, you will see primarily how greed drives this world system, drives the economy, this, this, this um, economy that we have. And we're going to be looking at that just a little bit as well. Also, another aspect of this person that you will see in verse 3 here is the um, how they despise the Lord 
And we've looked at that previously in the previous chapter, in Romans chapter 1, how humanism is that foundation where they build up in mankind an aspect of where they despise the things of the Lord. Verse 4, will not seek nor inquire from him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Obviously, he's going to come in and he's going to take the place of God. And he's going to get people to worship him as God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments, Lord, are on, on high, out of his sight. So he never thinks about them. As for all his enemies, he sneers at them. So this is the response. He says to himself, I will not be moved. For throughout all the generations, I will not be in advers uh, adversity for nothing bad will happen to me. Verse 7, his mouth is full of curses and deceit, fraud and oppression. Under his tongue is mis mischief and wickedness, injustice and sin. He's going to be a phenomenal speaker. He's going to be a phenomenal propagandist. He's going to be able to really convince the world to follow him down this path that leads to Armageddon. Verse 8, he lurks in ambush. In, 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 uh, in wait for the unfortunate so you know he's he's going to come in and he's going to say he's for the people but he's not he's for himself like a lion and we're going to see this motif repeated this 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 um line aspect of him of, of him being repeated throughout the psalms and scriptures so he lies in wait to catch the afflicted he catches the afflicted when he draws him into his net he crushes his prey and crouches etc etc and you can go and study this what you got to understand about this person he is beyond psychopathic this man is evil incarnate He's going to be a human, whether he's augmented uh, or not. I'm not sure we're going to go and look at that kind of stuff after we finish this biblical part, the biblical part of the, the of the study. But the one thing you're going to need to understand about this man is he is absolutely pure evil incarnate. All right, let's move on. Psalm 14. So, here we've got the characteristics of an atheist, uh, an atheistic society. But I also think that you can apply this characteristic to the Antichrist. Think of this Psalm 14 in light of Psalm 10 and in light of Romans chapter 1 that we've gone through already. And we've also discussed what people are going to be like in the end times and how to deal with them in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Those people, 2 Timothy 3 people. That's what people are going to be like, their characteristics. And obviously, he's going to be the supreme person that's going to manifest these characteristics way to the extreme. So let me give you those scriptures again. Go and read Psalm 10 again. Go and read Romans chapter 1 and study it again, especially in light of how I broke it down in the last podcast. And then also study 2 Timothy 3, people of the end times, what they are going to be like. Also think of this in light of resistors and uh, the, the, the resistors of evil. 
We've spoken about this in the previous podcast. The Holy Spirit is a resistor of evil. The church preaching the gospel is a resistor of evil. And a good government is a resistor of evil. Think of those scriptures with regards to the individuals they describe and the resistors gone. So there's no resisting taking place. Can you imagine the unleashing that's going to take place? And then you can start putting the Red Horseman into a, a, a clearer perspective. Um, this could, in Psalm 14, this could be a reference to the Antichrist, the man of sin, because he is the arch fool. You know, the, the minute someone says there is no God, the Bible calls them a fool. The Antichrist is coming and he's going to actually say he is God and therefore he is the arch fool. So let's go and look at this psalm. 14. The spiritually ignorant, the fool, has said in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed repulsive and unspeakable deeds. There is no one who does good. And then you can go back and read Romans chapter 1 with what happens to them, how God hands them over in the different stages. And then you can go and read 2 Timothy 3 to look at the characteristics and how they will behave. Verse 2. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand and act wisely, who truly seek after God, longing for his wisdom and guidance. They have all turned aside together. They have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Have all the workers of wickedness and injustice no knowledge? Who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? We probably look at passages like this as well with regards to a possible hint at uh, cannibalism here. Verse 5. There they tremble with great fear, for God is with the consistently righteous generation. You evildoers shamefully plan, plan against the poor, but the Lord is his safe refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores his captive people, then Jacob will rejoice. Israel will be glad. Let's go straight into Psalm 17. <coughs> Excuse me, from verse 8 to 13. Keep me in your affectionate care and protect me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the protective shadow of your wings. Remember what I said at the beginning when we're looking at Psalm, the, the Psalms? We're always looking at this conflict between the uh, godly remnant coming out of the ungodly brethren and the attack against them. Verse 9, For the wicked who despoil and deal violently with me, my deadly enemies who surround me, they have closed their unfeeling hearts to kindness and compassion. With their mouths they speak proudly and make presumptuous claims. They track us down and have now surrounded us in our steps. They set their eyes to force us to the ground. Now here it is. Again, this lion motif. He is like a lion, eager to tear his prey, and like a young lion, lurking in hiding places. Rise, O Lord, confront him, cast him down, save my soul from the wicked with your sword. So the remnant are seeking protection 
against their enemy who is, the who is a destroyer. Verse 4 of Psalm 17. Concerning the deeds of men, by the word of your lips, I have kept away from the path of the violent. Possibly now, the path of the violent equals the destroyer. This is a title of the Antichrist. Now you can do this comparison. Christ is the Savior. Christ saves mankind. Where Antichrist is the destroyer, Antichrist comes to destroy mankind. Uh, the, uh, another possible reference here to the Antichrist in this passage of Scripture would be in verses 12 and 13. Like a lion and like a young lion. And we can compare this with Peter's uh, description here in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, well-balanced, and self-disciplined. Be alert and cautious at all times. The enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Now, if we go back here, now I'm stretching this. Alright? We know that Peter calls the devil a lion. So he is like a lion eager to tear. And like a young lion, could, and, and remember, I'm just saying this, this is a stretch. Could this possibly be that Satan is the lion and Antichrist, young lion? I don't know. It's a possibility, but we do know that he has the characteristics of a lion in terms of its ferociousness and, 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 and the, the fact that it hunts. And he is going to hunt God's people. He is going to hunt the remnant. Psalm 37. This could possibly be uh, one of the best passages pointing to the Antichrist in the book of Psalms. So we read this in verse 7. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him and entrust yourself to him. Do not fret, whine, or agonize because of him who prospers in his ways, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. So the remnant here are encouraged to um, wait patiently, trust in the Lord, and not to be fretful, not to be concerned, not to be in agony uh, during this period of time. To be patient for the Lord because the Lord will deal with this person. Even though it would seem that this person prospers in his ways. Even though he's prospering and carrying out wicked schemes. It's incredible when I look at the world today. And I look at the financial systems of the world today. And I see corruption. Blatant corruption. And yet... When I'm looking at this blatant corruption, I see the media whitewashing it. I see the authorities whitewashing it. I see wicked people getting away with stuff left, right, and center all around the world. And so this could be a message to us, generally speaking, but also a message specifically geared to those people in the seven years and in the final three and a half years of those seven years.
Let's look at further verses in this passage of Scripture here. Um, Psalm 37, 12 to 13, we'll read from verse 11. But the humble will at last inherit the land and will, be, and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity and peace. So no matter what happens, God wins. And God's people win because God wins. Now here it is, verse 12. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, the wicked one, the one who opposes the righteous, oppresses the righteous. For he sees that his day of defeat is coming. Now, an interesting thing I've always noted when I've been studying <clears throat> passages of the Antichrist is that within three verses of Scripture, wherever the Antichrist is mentioned, within three verses of Scripture, Jesus Christ coming to defeat him is also mentioned. Go and, go and check that out. It's, it's very interesting. And so the, the attitude of the Lord in the face of their rebellion and their arrogance. Now remember the arrogance that we've been looking at, the, the boastfulness, the fist pointing at God, the rejecting at God, and God just looks at this and basically scorns them. He scorns them. Keep that in mind. No matter how much they seem to get away with it, and no matter how much they portray themselves as these great business people, these great politicians, these great whatever, and how they're getting away with all of this stuff, and then they portray themselves as good people, God scorns them. Because in the end, God's going to deal with them. So you've got to look here at the deep hatred of the Antichrist against the people of God. Now, the last three and a half years of the seven years is the culmination of the seed wars that began in Genesis chapter 3, 15 that I spoke about last week, the last session of, of the podcast. So now, as the Lord prepares for his battle against the champion of the devil, and as the champion of the devil now is uttering these threats, thrust, uh, these, these threats, these accusations, these boastful things, the Lord just looks at this and just laughs at him. The Lord laughs at him. Verse 13, the wicked one, the one who oppresses the righteous, for he sees that his day of defeat is coming. To laugh in pleasure or distraction, that's the Greek, the, the Hebrew word. Um, yeah. A, a, an absolute laugh. I think it's an absolute laugh of scorn. The Lord's attitude towards this man, Satan incarnate, the champion of the devil, the final seed of Satan, is the Lord looks at him and laughs. Let's go to verse 35 of this psalm. I have seen a wicked, violent man with great power spreading and flaunting himself like a cedar in its native soil. Yet he passed away, and lo, he is no more. I sought him, but he could not be found. Wow. The end of the Antichrist. 
you see it there that is a good song in all these passages we know the end of the story God wins God's people win we win right next Psalm 43 <coughs> excuse me judge and vindicate me O God plead my case against an ungodly nation or rescue me from the deceitful and unjust man for you are the God of my strength my stronghold in whom I take refuge why have you rejected me why do I go mourning because of this oppression of the enemy Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling place. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. With lyre I will praise you, O oh my God. This is a prayer of the remnant to God against the oppression of of the deceitful and unjust man so there you have another aspect of his characteristic remember always remember antichrist he's coming to replace jesus so he's going to portray himself as the very best of the best but when you recognize him he is deceitful and unjust now remember what happens to the prayers of the saints and how the Lord responds to those prayers. We've already dealt with it. The prayers of the saints get stored in heaven. And then the Lord responds in anger to what this man and his people have done to his children. Uh, right. Let's move on to Psalm 52. We'll read down to verse 9. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? And that would be it there. The loving kindness of God endures all day long. Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor working deceitfully. So remember, this man is going to be a supremely eloquent public speaker. You love evil more than good and falsehood more than speaking what is right. Sila. So remember, when he speaks... He's going to be saying one thing, but remember, he is a lover of evil. There's falsehood all around him. Verse 4. You love all words that devour a deceitful tongue, but God will break you down forever. He will take you away and tear you away from your tent and uproot you from the land of the living. Selah. The righteous will see it and fear and will scoffingly laugh saying, Look, this is the man who would not make God his strength, his stronghold and fortress, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, taking refuge in his wealth. But as for me, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust confidently in the loving kindness of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. You have rescued me and kept me safe. I will wait on your name, for it is good in the presence of your godly ones.
Antichrist is the mighty man. Uh, he's going to have a phenomenal way with words. He's going to be able to rally people in the hardest and most difficult times. He's going he's gonna to be able to rally people when there's going to be death and destruction all around. And remember, a lot of that death and destruction is what he's done. It's what his, his government's done. It's what the false prophet's done. They're going to be killing left, right, and center in his name. And yet he's still going to be able to rally people to his cause and gather them together from all the corners of the world to Revelation 19, 19. The certainty of doom is set. He will be degraded before people. He will be persecuted and it's going to be graphically depicted. And that will be viewed for the rest of eternity. So that's the end of the Psalms. What we're going to do in the next podcast is move on to the Prophets. And then subsequently we'll work our way all the way through to the um, New Testament. That's, for, that's it for now. Thank you. God bless.